So all this talk has been getting us both rocked up. Uh, <laughs> but you know what really gets me <laughs> rocked up is stats. Squ- stats, is, Nathan. Is Squarespace. Give me with some quantitative knowledge. And welcome to our Squarespace. first ad of the year. <laughs> Squarespace. No, we're not, this is not an ad. All right, let's do our quantitative segment. Squarespace gives you the tools to make yeah. you rock hard. This is Chapel Belker. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. What are we talking about today, Justin? Oh, you know what? Today we're talking about UGA football. Specifically UGA football, uh, because that was not an asinine thing to say, because of course you came here to see and hear us talk about stats and talk about UGA football and whatever else comes in between. But today we are showing you, all of you listeners, our, our lovely audience, the second of a sort of three-part preseason series we're doing. The first... Se- episode was the one that came before it where we talked about the sec and the rest of the nation writ large who else we might be able to uh, expect to be in the national conversation of you know this season's uh college football but today we're specifically going to be talking about uga and we're still going to continue shaking off the cobwebs um as you can tell you know nathan and i are probably going to be hoarse by this one or maybe we're you know we're, we're going to be you know stretching out we're going to be eating some bananas, making sure we're staying hydrated, eating salt, all those things to make sure Hitting we're staying ahead bag. of ourselves. Yeah, Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are know, shaking off all the cobwebs. So until then, we are going to do our new sort of episode organization that we did in our first episode, the SEC preview. And we're going to be talking about qualitative and then quantitative. And as we always talk about, by always, I mean the last time in this time, when we say qualitative and quantitative, we don't mean them in sort of the academic definitions of the word. We mean... We're going to be talking about storylines, history, trivia, just general meme lord stuff in our qualitative section, our feelings, where our hearts are, our souls, feelings. our moods. We'll be sharing our mood boards and our fan fictions about the season today. And then quantitative is much more in the you know things we can track, things that we would like to assert, things that we think are true. Now, I understand mm-hmm. because I have an English degree that that's not technically what quantitative means. And I don't want all of you pedants out there coming for me about it. This is just a, a way for us to divide the show up. So let's start with our qualitative our qualitative analysis here. So, mm, Justin, yes. what, what, what do we want to talk about in terms of feelings, in terms of heart, in terms of storyline? Uh, coming yeah. into this UGA football season. For those of you that this might be your you know, first episode, which I'm sure many of you it is not, but if it is your first episode, in a normal episode, if this were a pregame episode or a postgame episode, this section might look a little bit different. In a pregame episode, you'd hear about sort of the other team, their history, their dynastic history, um, any fun trivia things about them, and maybe just our general feelings about these folks, you know, just real human stuff. In a post-game episode, you'd hear about our experiences, the general feel of the game, et cetera, et cetera. So real qualitative stuff, you know, but always kind of centered around experience and, and enthusiasm and feelings and et cetera, et cetera. All those fun things that you've come to know Chapel Bell Curve for. In today's episode, though, we will just kind of be talking about the general narratives that we've seen online about UGA and maybe some certain players from UGA. We'll talk about returning players. We'll talk about freshman players. We'll talk about how the practices have been going. So that's kind of what we're going to be going through today. But I know that at the very top of this section, Nathan, you have some gossip. Spill the tea, my man. You say you, but really we're going to, I just want to look at the, the Athlon Sports preview magazine that I have. You can hear me flipping actual pages. I'm sort of like a physical media fetishist. So this is really hitting all my spots right now but uh, here we go so every year in the athlon preview magazine one of my favorite pieces to say 
is written by one Stephen Godfrey of Split Zone Duo and also other things fame. He calls a bunch of SEC coaches and he gets sort of like, what is the aggregate coach opinion gossip, anonymous gossip sort of stuff. And I'm going to read directly from this. I don't want to steal his his work totally, so I'm not going to read all of it. But there was sort of one one little section that I, I, I found to be very intriguing just in terms of like, what it shows about how the people outside of Georgia are thinking about Georgia. And I think that this mm-hmm. uh, this sort of opinion or question that's posed by this anonymous coach is, sort of is, I don't know, representative of the way the rest of the country, the college football world, is going to be thinking about Georgia this year. Here we go. They finally got over the hump and killed the narrative. Now what? Are they a one-off deal, or are they going to be the first SEC program that can really, truly hang and bang with Bama year in and year out? The expectations there aren't to win a one-off title and go back to 9 or 10 wins. To me, that, storyline-wise, is the sort of beginning, middle, and end of this UGA season. I don't think that we have to be perfect, but I think we have to answer that question. Mm -hmm. Right? And by we, I mean UGA. Oh, I thought you said, I thought you said, and by we, I mean you. Uh, and by we, I mean, answer that question right now. We, we, by we, I mean UGA. But what, what do you think about that? Um, I mean, that is, honestly, that's been one of the common threads, the common themes that we've seen online that, that everybody's kind of talking about is like, yeah, that was a great season. Even at the end of the season last year, we had so many question marks that people kept asking questions. Even now, like looking back on Stetson Bennett's season, he has so many people who are still asking the question of, is he? Isn't he? That sort of thing. The, the kind of questions that you wouldn't get if you were a, a team or a program that had done this year to year to year, like, you know, Alabama. But Georgia is still getting those sorts of questions, you know, which really leads into kind of this whole sort of section that we're kind of talking about is that the general narrative everybody's kind of saying is that is sort of like a will they, won't they vis-a-vis UGA. And so I have a quote to kind of piggyback off of what you were even saying, what you were just saying here from Sports Illustrated that I'll read to you. And I'll, I'll kick it back to you to kind of see, are we in trouble? Who's back? What's the big deal? What are we worried about? So it says, college football's defending national champion has some surgery to do on its historic defense in replacing key starters, but has recruited more than well enough to plug in those holes. That is my sort of rebuttal to your your goss, your hot goss. And I think that I sort of, if, if, if the question is, is this one year thing from UGA or have they built the program around this team that can repeat year in and year out? Then I think the, the core of the answer, the way you answer that question from mm-hmm. UGA is... Can you absorb the depth blows that the, all those guys becoming the first round of the NFL draft last year and leaving, can you absorb the blow to your depth that you've just had? Like a historic one, right? A historic mm-hmm. number of first round draft picks. So I think the answer is going to be less in, I don't know, like the answer for the general public is just going to be, do you go to the SEC championship? Do you go to the college football playoff? But I think the actual mm-hmm. answer to whether or not UGA is here to stay is, can you fill those holes and can you become a program where people say like, oh, like for instance, when we were doing the SEC preview, I said, Alabama always had, they just like grow wide receivers on trees. I just assume Alabama is going to just sort of crap out another insane first round wide receiver. Another Jameson Williams, another whoever, Mechie, right? And 
the I think the core of the question of this narrative boils down to can UGA do that? Can UGA create confidence in the public? And also, I guess that doesn't really matter, but can they create a an actual physical product, an actual system that just seems to have exactly the person they need to replace the person who's leaving every year? And and I think it's interesting because as much of a thrill as winning the national championship is, like you said, it really doesn't answer the question, right? Because I think that no one would argue that despite all the national championships, that Clemson is on a demonstrably different field than, say, Alabama right now. Not that they can't win the Natty, but they they are certainly in sort of like, if Alabama is the 1A, then Clemson is in the 1B. You know, Ohio State, year in and year out recently, has been the 1B. So, like, can Georgia go from that second tier of best four teams in the nation to that first tier? Right. And and I think the core of that is going to have to do with like absorbing death. Did you were your recruiting evaluations good? Did you develop guys that seemed like they could be first round draft picks into actual future first round draft picks? Right. And I think that's the core of the core of it. But I guess that's mm-hmm. you know, a lot of talk about five stars. But this next point that you have, I think, is the maybe the most pivotal player on the entire roster is a three star. So what, what are we thinking about? Good yeah. old Stet. Good old Stet. You know, he had a little makeover. We sent him. <laughs> I'm thinking of like a Princess Bride situation. Not Princess Bride situation. Princess Diaries. Damn it. I, I was like, I can tell you, but you wouldn't learn anything. Yeah. <laughs> no, a real Princess Diaries situation Stetson's been through. You know, he he took his glasses off. He let his hair down. It turns yeah. out that he had just a great rocking body hiding yeah. beneath all of those, uh, those overalls and all those paint stains from art class. Anyway, I'm going to start waxing poetic about Stetson and say that a lot of people are still doing the same exact thing that they did last season, which is the groaning and the moaning about Stetson being the starting quarterback now, especially that he's returning. I don't know. It seems kind of weird to me that we have a national championship quarterback who won 14 games last season and we're still doing all of this. So so give me your feelings. Are we going to have to keep doing this or or what? What's what's going on? Well, first of all, I think we should refer to him by his proper internet nickname, which is Stetquavius now, because he got faded correctly. I mean, his line. He sure did. Who, whatever barber that he went to on the offseason, like, got his line sick. And I, like, as someone who has a fade, I don't have a line the way he does, but I do have a fade. Whoever did this fade, it looks like a, a zero to a two, maybe? He's got a zero guard around the ears for e- easily, but then a, a zero to a two, I think, is the longest it gets. But whoever did his fade, like, props. Good, good. Good job. I'm going to go ahead and guess and, and that it's whoever did this podcast. was this was not a sports clip situation. Like this guy went to a bespoke barber. I like Faith. He, <laughs> he, did, he did a good job. He, he went deserves. down. He went to Wilson's. Yeah, he, he went somewhere that has some experience in that. Right. Anyway, but mm-hmm. uh, no, it's not going away. <laughs> That's the short answer. Look, <laughs> I, I think that we have... We have established that Stetson Bennett can win the national championship. So, you know, mm-hmm. at this point, he's a nat- he is the national championship winning quarterback. So it's it's hard to I don't know. It's hard to argue with that. Yeah, that, it's like that we've cited I, our sources. Yeah, I mean, it's like he won the national championship. It, at this point, what can you say? But him winning the national championship doesn't change who he is. He should play the best ball of his career this year. He's like in his eighth year in college. He's like thirty two. He he's wearing death row record shirts and you know like <laughs> Biggie Small shirts because he was alive when those artists were <laughs> popular, right? Because he, that was like those were the 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 people that he listened to in high school. But like, so uh-huh. he should play the best ball of his career this year. 
but he still is what he is. And the problem with what he is is not that he was a walk-on. That doesn't matter. And it also doesn't matter that he's short. I think we learned last year, Bryce Young and Stetson Bennett are about the same height. That doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. What matters is when the rush is on, can he accurately deliver a deep ball? Now, to his everlasting credit, that throw to A.D. Mitchell in the, four, in the fourth quarter of the national championship, that was about as clutch as it gets. That was about as big brass, Patrick Mahomes style, Tom Brady style, you know, Manning style, whatever, as you can ask for, right? I mean, just like a, a clutch throw with the best pass rusher in the nation in your face. He did it. But, you know, the last game he played before that, you know, Alabama was in jailbreak rush in a high leverage situation in the end zone. They had a jailbreak blitz and Stetson threw an interception. Now, that doesn't mean that he's always Mm going to do it. But I I guess the question remains is, who is he? Is he the guy who just like was unconscious in the fourth quarter of the national championship? Or is he the guy that we saw against Alabama in the SEC title? And it's going to matter because we're probably going to play Alabama if we go to the SEC title, right? And so it's like, is he going to dice up any team that has a below average defense? Yes. Stetson Bennett is going to make someone have a horrible day. That's his that's his whole thing <laughs> in his career. If you have that's an his average whole MO. Yeah, I mean if you have an average to below average defense, Stetson Bennett is going to be the white guy at the pickup game who like drops 10 threes and then like just swags on you. He's he is just going to be the most annoying short, how does this guy have a player? And God bless him, I love him for it. So, like, I have no doubt. I feel very confident. I've, like, already said on a previous episode that I think we're going to win at least 11 games this year. The real mm-hmm. question is, can he be the guy who clutches you out against Alabama when it really matters? Because that's the that's the air that UGA is in now. We just talked about, is UGA in the Alabama realm? And a lot of that question is going to be answered by depth. But the rest of that question is going to be answered by, do you have a dude pulling the trigger who, when it matters, can do the Bryce Young thing, can do the Tua thing, can do the Patrick Mahomes thing, can do the whoever, right? The dude who can just like get out there and take the game over. Now, Stetson's done that at times and fits and starts, but who knows, right? I, I mean, I don't have an answer, but I, and that's all a very long way of saying, I don't think that question's ever going to be answered. The way people like to bitch about Stetson Bennett, I'm sorry, I'm trying to curse less. The way they like to complain about Stetson Bennett, <laughs> <laughs> is is never going to change because he isn't this like high ceiling athlete dude but like he's gotten better every year and he's a very confusing player right like yeah i think mm-hmm. you can even hear it in my voice i keep going back and forth on the one hand he won you the national title and yeah would i buy him a bunch of drinks absolutely do i think he seems like a pretty good dude 100 <laughs> percent does it matter that he's not an nfl player no a lot of really good college players are not nfl players but I still just worry that, like, the way he throws the deep ball, I, I don't know if it's sustainable. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to I'm gonna stop because I, I just don't know. And are, are the hesitations going to go away? No. If he wins another national title, then yeah, when, I, I, I think we'll be done talking about it. So let's, let's change gears just a little bit before we get out of the qualitative section. Let's say, let's talk about returning players we're most excited about seeing. Who do you think has made the greatest growth over the offseason? Who, who are you most excited about? I mean... Uh, it's hard not to be excited about Eric Gilbert, right? I mean, he, he is a, he's not a freshman. I guess he's a first-year player. We can cover him in the freshman section. In terms of returning players, I mean, uh, can Brock Bowers do it again? Can he do what he did last year? I mean, there's no reason he can't. That's I'm, I'm very excited. I think that he's a – I think Brock Bowers is a genuinely special player, like capital S special, like we talk about him 10, 15 years from now kind of player. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I'm I'm intrigued defensively by just what happens on that defensive line, 
right? You still have Jalen Carter. You still have Nolan mm-hmm. Smith. You've got some really talented freshmen. You know, is that not enough? But like, what does that defense look like? That is really the number one thing I'm interested to is just like play it and play out. What does the defense look like? Because like for the past three years, UJ's defense has been basically defined by the fact that you could not run between the guards or, or you could not run in any of the in any of the gaps that a guard touched. That is basically how UJ mm-hmm. has played football for the last three years, right? Like, don't even try. Don't run counter. Don't run power. Don't run, you know, inside zone. Just don't. It's not going to work, right? Because UGA had Jordan Davis. They had Trayvon Walker. They had dudes who could just, like, stand you up at the point of attack. And then ha- were, and they had those two guys in particular are really good at hold, 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 pick a gap, and then tackle a dude in the backfield. So I'm interested to see what the sort of personality of this defense is going forward. And that really, I think, revolves around the front five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there's there's still some questions on the defensive side of the ball in the secondary. Ringo is, of course, I think he's locked in, of course. But opposite Ringo, I know that there has been some sort of movement around that position and also questioning as to who is going to finally sit in that, that number one spot. But what are your thoughts there? Do you have anything that we've kind of been hearing from the, you know, the internet tubes? I think the internet, and I, and I don't think this is me stepping on anybody's like inside information toes. I, it seems like the general consensus is that Nylon Green and Kamari Lasseter are two of the big options. I'm sure there are mm-hmm. other guys. Those two are dudes that are both, you know, they have the pedigree and the height to do it. That is going to be interesting because if Ke- Keely Ringo keeps playing the way he has, the people just aren't going to throw at him. Very similar to in the past when DeAndre Baker uh, was sort of the lockdown corner. And really what mattered was who was playing opposite of Baker because they just weren't going to throw at him. Keely Ringo has the ability and not not just like the natural gifted ability or the measurables, but has shown that he can be that player, right? And last year, mm-hmm. to a great extent, he was that he was the guy who was getting picked on, right? They weren't they weren't throwing to the other side of the field. And so if Keely Ringo turns into that lockdown corner, I think, you know, one of those guys is gonna be really important to the fortunes of this team because they're gonna pick on him. The other the only other guy that I've heard about is uh Devin Willick. It seems like the general consensus is that he's starting at left guard, I think, or no, right guard across from Tate Ratledge. Yeah. Uh, Tate Ratledge is one of the more important returning players because he's an NFL caliber guard who was supposed to go to the NFL last year, but then broke his foot on like the fourth play of the game against Clipson on the mm-hmm. first game. So he is a very exciting, quote unquote, new face. But I think Devin Willick as well, who is yet another and one of the sort of unending line of UGA offensive linemen who are four and five stars and are, you know, highly sought after, salivated after recruits. But it is interesting that in that any new name emerging in that room, in the offensive line room with the depth it has is interesting to see. I think I'm also really excited about the tight ends. We've got four tight ends who could start literally anywhere. And uh, I think we'll see a lot of the top three with Oscar Delp still being that guy who's just going to keep showing us in practice that he'll be able to reload not rebuild as we've been using um, that language in these episodes and i'm really pumped about that having three very healthy tight ends to start the season off i'm particularly interested in what darnell washington looks like like you know a a guy who has been overshadowed by brock bowers last year and Mm. who now is even more overshadowed by eric gilbert but i think if you're going to run 13 personnel with eric gilbert as a as a you know functional wide receiver it will be really interesting to see how I, I think Darnell is still the most physically dominant traditional tight end that we have, right? 
Not to say that he can't. Yes. He's not a good pass catcher. He is. But, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he's used. They, they just all bring something different to the table. I mean, you have three very different players who are all built differently that can play the tight end role in ways that are dynamic in their own ways, but still fit schematically into the UGA offensive scheme, which is super exciting. And I think it's just going to get better from here. So freshmen. Which freshman do you think we might see some of? You know, it's one of those funny things where we're, I think we're in a, that bit of a transition period where we're still going to have some freshmen who are like generational talents who will make an impact immediately. However, we're getting to that place where you won't see as many freshmen because we can keep them healthy and let them learn from folks who have been there longer and wait until they actually need to play up as opposed to have to play. So which freshman do you think are going to make an impact sooner rather than later and which ones are you excited about two names that you hear over and over again and again this is not this is sort of like on the aggregate i'm not trying to rat anybody's sources out or use information i got from a pay board or whatever but you see the name michael uh, michael williams a lot you see bear alexander a lot mm-hmm. those are two defensive tackle defensive line guys very different um bear alexander i guess is measurable wise he is Jordan Davis adjacent, you know, he's 6'3", 325, consensus four-star, went to IMG, Tammy really wanted him, but I think he was, Mm -hmm. because I think he was originally from Texas, but his name's Bear, which is cool as well. So I don't, you know, you never want to say that anyone's going to be Jordan Davis because Jesus, like who could be, but like he is the guy who has sort of that positional comparison. Michael Williams is more in your Trayvon Walker body type. I'm not saying he's Trayvon Walker. But he's a five-star. He was the number two defensive lineman last year. He's the number four in the nation uh, player. He went he went to Hardaway in Columbus. But he is like sort of your 6'5", 265. A little bit taller, but in the sort of Trayvon Walker, maybe even more like a Jalen Carter type. Like very explosive, can move, can run on the edge, can run on the inside. I guess you would say a five technique as opposed to a one technique. But just like absolutely... I hate to use this term, but an absolute freak of nature, like just someone who you got to think is going to be showing out early. I'd say the third one is probably and not to just go by recruiting records, but Marvin Jones Jr. is another guy who you feel like is probably going to be able to be hard to keep, uh, take out the field. Six, four and a half, 245 pounds. He's an outside linebacker. He was the third overall edge player in the nation last year. He is a guy who just sort of has the Nolan Smith profile, super explosive, long, maybe a little, I mean, definitely bigger than Nolan was coming out of high school, like a, like a thick guy uh, more, you know, put on a lot of weight in his last season and kind of really shot up the charts or whatever. The last name that you hear some places is Dylan Bell. He's a guy who was a little bit less. Mm. He's a wide receiver recruit. He was less heralded. He was from somewhere in Texas. I can't remember, near Houston or something. But he is a guy that I've seen multiple people at Rivals and 24-7 and on board say that, you know, UGA trusted their evaluation. Because he's a three-star wide receiver. 24-7 had him as, I think, the 70th, 60th something wide receiver in the nation. But, you know, 6'2", 205, fast guy played quarterback, receiver, running back in high school. And it actually is interesting that you're hearing his name so early because he is a guy that, a la Jordan Davis, I hate to make that comparison. I'm not saying that this guy's going to be a first-round draft pick, but a la Jordan Davis, Dylan Bell was a guy who UGA sort of ignored the rankings and just trusted their evaluation and took a dude who people didn't expect them to take, if that makes sense, and came in as Mm -hmm. not necessarily heralded, but with like buzz similar to how Jordan Davis did, where it's like, yeah, he's a three-star, but... 
you know, he looks really good and we really like his tape and he showed up to camp in really good shape. You know what I mean? So like, I, it'll be interesting in a, in a, on a team that's really looking to replace wide receivers and is looking to find a go-to wide receiver, Dylan Bell's evolution and the role he can fit in, you know, in the absence of some major graduations and transfers, Jermaine Burton in, in particular, it'll be mm-hmm. interesting to see if this guy who was relatively unheralded by the statutes of Georgia recruiting classes ends up being a dude who plays his first year. One more name that we haven't brought up that I have been excited about since last year when we found out he was coming to UGA is Branson Robinson, who yeah. looks like he could start in the NFL yesterday. Like he's looked that way since high school, Branson Robinson. You know, one thing that I was excited about is that, you know, he is so big in such a small frame. I was worried that he would be another sort of quote unquote you know, like man ball player where he's just made to run through people with the ball rather than, you know, run around people or play intelligently and find his hole and make holes as a running back. And so I am excited that, that folks are saying that he's a bit uh, he's a bit more mobile than we, we previously thought. And so at least he's showing that in fall camp. And I hope to continue seeing some of that. But that's who I think maybe we'll see later in some games when we're already ahead a bit but if he continues playing really well in fall camp maybe we'll see him a little bit more than just that maybe yeah. he'll be a third string we'll see what happens Princeton robinson is interesting because he doesn't have the nick chubb top line track speed for his size but mm-hmm. he is a he has some nick chubb in him not saying again that he's going to be an, an amazing he's going to be like an nfl player but he has some Nick Chubb in him in the sense, like you said, that out of high school, he looks like a 35-year-old man. And he is just yeah. absolutely rocked up. Yeah. That, that is the word that his 24-7 recruiting, recruiting scouting report says, that he's or has a rocked up frame. And that's interesting. Now, you know, he might be like the fifth running back, right? You know, Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh, mm-hmm. Dejon Edwards, all are going to have something to say about that. But in terms of like dudes you can hand the ball to in short yardage situations, Branson Robbins seems to be like... I don't know, like an interesting, intriguing prospect. He He's, like you said, shifty, not necessarily like a, a straight line runner, but a dude who can bang in between the tackles, which is really interesting. So all this talk has been getting us both rocked up. Uh, <laughs> but you know what really gets me <laughs> rocked up is stats, Squ- stats is, Nathan. It's Squarespace. Give me with some quantitative knowledge. And welcome to it's our Squarespace. first ad of the year, Squarespace. <laughs> no, we're not, this is not an ad. All right, let's do our quantitative segment. Squarespace gives you the tools to make you rock hard. Yeah, yeah. numbers do make us rocked up. They make me feel so bulky. Brick me up, Nathan, with those good, good numbers. Hey, when you hear what I have to say, you're going to get booed up for sure. All right. (laughs) So I've been trying to think about how to talk about this quantitatively. Because and and to get to the quantitative numbers, I'm going to kind of take you on like a qualitative field trip. We're gonna have to go back Ooh, into the into paint the, me a picture. Yeah, we're gonna have to go back into the like soft sciences to get to heavy si- to the to the yeah, chemistry yeah. math stuff. Okay, so obviously there's a lot at stake this year. Uh-huh. I think we've kind of touched on this before, but in the current media climate, it actually matters whether whether or not you can get the media say that you reload versus you rebuild. Now, what the media has to say doesn't matter in terms of like what's going on inside of the program. However. It is a marker for success and program health. And what I mean by that is like what the media says matters in regards to your recruiting. It matters in regards to your donations. It matters that just like basic emotional zeitgeist of any given college football team, I think actually matters in a really actionable sort of like tactile way to the fate of college football programs. And 
you know, obviously the mighty shall fall and we love a story where Goliath falls just as much as we love a story where David wins. So I'm not saying that it makes you automatically good, but what I am saying is that like there are ramifications for this season in terms of UGA's reputation. And that matters in a very concrete way in, in, in regards to future recruiting, in regards to future money investment, right. In regards to future, just like interest in the program. Now, obviously, UJ is at the top of the sport, so we're not run it worried about like, do we have enough money to keep the stadium open? But like, this is this is pro- the last fifty years, the last twenty years in particular, have proven that this is a sport where keeping up with the Joneses matters, right? And so, I think UJ has an interesting opportunity this year to solidify themselves as, I mean, the heir apparent to Alabama, the top, the 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 top of the top of the top, to be. The kind of program that people hate because their success is boring, right? And that's that's sort of like what's at stake here. And I think answering that question, can UJ be that, again, has less to do with do you win the national title and more to do with do you show people that you can just turn around and produce another top 10 offense, another top 10 defense, right? And, you know like I said, the core of that is depth, right? Do we, can we replace Dean and Davis, right? Can we replace, you know, all of these dudes who left Trayvon Walker, right? Um, We've talked about some individual people who can do that, right? I mean, we didn't even talk about Kendall Milton and Arian Smith, two guys who are Mm -hmm. hugely talented, who have had uh, injury problems throughout the, the time. But so that's sort of the big question that I see for us qualitatively. And I also think that's kind of the stakes that I see for us. I think that the season matters in a really real way that has nothing to do with wins and losses. It has more to do with your place in the sport and your place in the sport from year into year out is always changing, but dynasties matter. Like success breeds success and proving that you are not a flash in the plan, proving it that at the very least that you can still be dominant in the SEC East going forward matters. And it, and it matters, I think in a really, actionable way in a, in a quantifiable quantitative way right so that all kind of brings me to the numbers and i think one of the things that it's easy to forget easy to be influenced by is how much uga lost right and what that means and what i mean that it's easy to forget is like i think it's easy to have our thoughts too influenced by what uga lost because we don't have the final 24 7 talent data but our extrapolated talent data from last year in terms of returning production, in terms of what we lost, you know, still puts UGA at the top of the sport, right? Like we use CBCR squared, which, you know, the Ross Rutledge, we're going to hear from later on in this episode, it was, has been sort of the mastermind behind that, along with some other very, very awesome people at our discord. And the CBCR squared is an R squared regression uh, metric and it, and it measures how many points, well, in part, but what it ends up spitting out is how many points over the average team better are you or worse or the same as. So a a person, a team with a CBCR square score of zero is like the average team, okay? So right now we have UGA at number one in the nation preseason with 25.1 CBCR squared overall. The numbers that we have for UGA from CBCR squared are actually sort of shocking because it, it won't surprise you to hear that our numbers love UGA's defense coming back. I think that even with all that UGA has lost, that we can, it would make sense sort of in our narrative brains that UGA would produce a high caliber of defense. We have us as the best defense coming back. 
We have as the best defense coming back by about two points, uh, which is a lot. What is surprising is what CBCR squared thinks about UGA's offense. Uh, we currently have UGA as having the third best offense in the nation, about four points worse mm. on average than UG- than Ohio State's, and about one and a half points, or no, just one point worse than Alabama's. That I think is the shocking thing, and that is what's led to us having UGA a hair above, about 0.8 or something points above Ohio State and Alabama. Uh, is that we don't think UGA's offense is bad. And we actually got a pretty good question about this in the Ask CBC. So I don't want to go into like the narrative side of that too much. But I think what our numbers are seeing is that if you get past your own biases, which I have, and I, I say you, once I get past my own biases <laughs> about Stetson Bitt, UGA had an explosive, efficient offense last year. Did it always look pretty? No. Was it aided by no. prob- the best the best defense in the, his- the modern history of football? Yes. Did 100%. that offense start in, in primo field position the whole year? Yes. Did that offense regularly have short fields off of turnovers? Yes. However, mm-hmm. that doesn't change what they did with their opportunities. And if, and if you want to use sort of like a – not to, to fall prey to the anecdotal fallacy, but if you want to look at a good example of this, you can look at the, the Alabama game. That was a game where UGA had several long fields where they had to have points and UGA's offense delivered. Now, did, was it always aesthetically pleasing? I'm not going to pretend that that's the case. No. Were there frustrating moments? Yes. But the results are the results. And I think what our numbers are telling us is that UGA should have a good to great offense this year. Maybe not the best offense in the nation, but a well above average explosive offense. And I think that matches up with what we see qualitatively. And to me, that is the core of the answer to that question about can re- UGA reload or are they rebuilding is like, if you have an offense that scores 40 points a game, then it doesn't matter if your defense takes a step back. And our numbers think that our defense is taking a step back to still being the best defense in the nation. Right. So like, mm-hmm. I don't think that's any reason. I don't think there's any reason to think that UGA shouldn't go to the SEC title game this year. Like, you know, Will Levis at Kentucky, really good reputation, going to be probably be a high pit, high dra- NFL draft pick. But like, you know, is do they like him because he's Josh Allen? Because Josh Allen didn't win a lot in college, right? Auburn mm-hmm. falling apart at the seams for a lot of very Auburn reasons. Florida rebuilding, <laughs> rebuilding to an extent that their coach is trying to tamp down expectations, right? Like this is Oof. a team, I mean, and good for him. I think Billy Napier is really being a master at messaging by doing sort of the opposite of what Willie Taggart did, where Willie Taggart came in and said, this is a plug-and-play operation. We're going to win 10 games. And they got run out of town a year and a half later, partially because he was black, but also because he had overpromised, right? But, like, when you have a coach that is deliberately underpromising, I don't think you should expect that team to beat this Georgia team. And and I think that there are going to be bumps in the road. I think that we're going to see some defensive regression but if you look at the dudes who are starting in place of the guys who left, it's four star, four star, four star, five star, five star, five star, right? And even if you believe the sort of like pitching prospect theory of recruiting, which I don't, but even if you think that every five star recruit is just a lotto ticket that you're trying to cash, UGA still has a shit ton of lotto tickets, right? So many scratch offs. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, we need these scratchers to hit, but we have mm-hmm. like, 
a, a, a crisp, uncrinkled, you know, 500 pack of these that we stole from the factory. Like we're not like sitting there. <laughs> we're not under a bridge staring at our last scratcher, hoping for this thing to hit so that we can get a defensive tackle. Right. What we need is for one of three or four, four or five star blue chip recruits to be 70% as good as Jordan Davis. We need one of three or four blue chip inside linebacker recruits to be 60 to 70% good as, as Nicobe Dean. We don't even need mm-hmm. him to beam Toby Dean and Jordan Davis because a step back from last year's defense could be the best defense in the nation and still be a whole echelon down from what I think we could make an argument mathematically is the best unit of football in the history of college football, right? So taking a step back from that and then having a better offense, which you should have because you didn't have Reed Gilbert on this team. You have Stetson Bennett hopefully being you know, the best version the of best himself, Bennett. the best Stetson Bennett. Yeah. That's all we can ask for him to be. You have a really deep running back stable. You know, you've lost a lot from the wide receiver, but you have the best tight end room unequivocally, the best tight end room in the nation. This is a team that should compete for, should be in the national title discussion the whole year. Now, are they going to beat Bama? I, I don't know, man. Who knows? Like, yeah, Bama, I have thoughts about, I, I don't, I don't like a, our chances in that game right now. Can we beat Ohio State in the playoff? Who knows? But like what the numbers tell us, if we can take off our trauma and stop waiting for the inevitable shooter drop, is that even if this <laughs> team takes a step back, step back is a relative term, right? When a millionaire mm-hmm. loses $50,000, it sucks. But it's very different than when I lose $50,000. Both of us yes. can be equally unhappy but one of us goes back to his like trophy wife and his mistress on the golf course, and the other one of us is a currently bankrupted public school teacher. I'm not bankrupt. I'm just saying in this <laughs> metaphor that I'm I'm using. In this, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So think like, about it. so I think when we say take a step back, when we say lose talent, we have to think about what our priors are, right? Not like you know, defenses are not constructed around transcendent individual performances in exactly the same way that offenses are. Certainly, Jordan Davis is one of the most important players on the team, but only played on like 40% of the snaps last year, right? He's not Joe mm-hmm. Burrow. I don't expect to see like a 2019 LSU-style regression out of this defense, and I think that this offense can be as good as anyone in the country that isn't named Alabama and Georgia, or Alabama and Ohio State. And so, yeah, I guess I'm just talking myself into that this should be a 12-0 season. That's my I prediction. I mean, it's made sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, looking I, this, at the schedule, this it's, team is going to be a double digit. Bad. We're, we're going to be a two touchdown favorite over every single team. And there are teams that have mm-hmm. the talent to scare UGA. Spencer Rattler at USC, Will Levis at Kentucky. I mean, God only knows Auburn could have fired its coach and be down to 30 scholarship players and still have some sort of weird flu flu epidemic. Oh, God, that's that's poorly timed. Have some kind of weird toucan <laughs> attack on the bus on the way in. There you and go. And then we lose the there game. There it is. Right? It doesn't matter how whatever like posit that you come up with, it doesn't matter how radically absurd it is. I would believe that Auburn could do it to Georgia. So like, it's not, I'm not saying that there's mm-hmm. no way this team can lose a game, but there's not a game mathematically on their schedule that you would think they should lose. Like, so if we take Alabama yeah. out of the equi- equation, right? Let's just talk about like average points. How much better is Georgia than the teams they're playing? All right. So, Oh, it's not, easy. Yeah. Mississippi state UGA is, 15 16 points better than them that's the tennessee uga is 15 16 more like 15 or 14 points better than them 
Uh, and just to be clear, this is average, using CBCR squared. Yes, average points against an average team, right? Which is not predicting the spread mm. or the result of the game. This is just like how, what are the average points scored for and against against an average team? So per our points, not on the field points. But, you know, we have UGA yeah. at 25.1 on their CBCR squared rating. We have uh, Tennessee at 11.8. Mississippi State is 11.34. Auburn, 10.3. Florida, 9.4. Uh, let's see who else is on the schedule this year. Um, South Carolina, we have at 2.55. Missouri, we have at 0.75. Vanderbilt, negative 0.636 points, six and a half points worse than the average team. Right? Like there is no reason that you don't go 12 and 0. Really? On it? I mean, look. Obviously, no reason is a stupid thing to say. Barring injuries and barring a catastrophic failure at the sort of structural level of a position, which is possible. It has happened before at this school. But if you have an average success rate at developing the four and five star players that you have, there is no reason that this team shouldn't go 12-0. Yeah. Welcome to you. Welcome to Dynasty. I guess is what I'm that saying. Was, it's not just a TV show from the 80s. Yeah. It's also just like what is happening at UGA right now. And yeah, UGA, we have them. lifestyle. We have UGA as like 0.6 points better than, or no, not even 0.6. It's 0.26 points better than Alabama and 0.25 points better than, than Ohio State. So yeah, who knows what happens if we play them in the SEC title game. But like everybody you play in the regular season, I mean, God forbid, Georgia Tech, we have as negative uh, 1.71. Actually, we don't, you know, Georgia Tech, five points better than Vanderbilt. So they got that going hey. for them. Uh, but that's saying something. Yeah, for real. But like, I, I think my, <laughs> my, my sort of qualitative to quantitative take, if I can sort of try to sum up my ramblings here is if mm-hmm. the question is, can UGA reload instead of rebuild the answer mathematically, or in terms of the analytics that we have, that we trust is that there's no reason it shouldn't happen. And that in fact, it probably should. And if the question is, how big a step back does UGA take? The answer is UGA can take a big step back on defense and still have the best defense in the nation this year. Yep. Woof. Man, oh, man. I am, uh, as we said about Branson Robinson, rocked up. I hope, I'm, I hope, I'm totally bricked up right now. I hope you are. I, I hope you're booed up. I hope you just like fell in love with me a little bit. <laughs> it is close to cuffing season and yeah. i hope that this rock falls in love with your rock oh at least God. through the winter season i thought we were going to try to <laughs> be less dirty this has been chapel bell curve as you have most likely deduced uh if you liked what you heard today you can find us on all of the social medias the instagrams the facebook's the twitters at chapel bell curve you can also send us emails which we check maybe four times a year chapelbellcurve at gmail.com mm-hmm. you're really going to have the best opportunity to get in touch with us on twitter it is the only reason we use twitter at this point uh and i really enjoy it i have been embarrassingly enough uh telling people that twitter is my favorite social media these days because i control what i get to see for the most part it seems uh if you've really liked what you heard today then why don't you make your way over to patreon.com slash chapelbellcurve and join this lovely little community of nerds dirty liberals nerdy liberals other folks uh i'm, I'm pretty sure we have some like center right <laughs> people as well center like, right I, I i don't want to be like you know politically exclusive or anything 
I was just going to add as many of them, you know, bootlickers, anarchists, yeah. all of the folks you can find. I will um, say we, we, we are you know, we are an expressly anti-white nationalist podcast. But other than that, 100%. Everybody else, you know. Yeah. Get your Kinsey Scale 11 self over there. It just costs $1 yeah. to join the Discord. Um, you can actually get access to our show notes. You can get access to early recordings, the uncut recordings, as well as all the opportunities to hang out with these folks that make this whole community worth being a part of. Um, but other than that, until next time you hear from us, which will be on our Ask CBC episode, because we're splitting this preseason mess up into several episodes for you to enjoy at your leisure. Um, we will see you in the classic city, most likely, where we both reside on the mean streets. And until then, go, go dogs. dogs.